Welcome to a special edition of Mormonland. I'm Peggy Fletcher Stack, Senior Religion Reporter at the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm here in New York City with Richard Bushman and Claudia Lauper Bushman. Both are retired historians at Columbia University, and they are among the organizers of the Center for Latter-day Saints Arts, Arts, which just completed its third annual festival. Welcome, Richard and Claudia. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, you are both academic historians, uh, university professors, yet for three years you've been involved in this Center for Mormon Arts. Why? Well, one of the things that we learn in the church is that we do things. We learn how to organize things. We learn how to put things together. We learn how to work with people. And it's something that we just do. And Richard will tell you how come we do the arts. How did it happen, Richard? (laughs) I'd been uh, active in establishing uh, Mormon studies chairs, raising funds for them for a number of years. And one of the people I'd worked closely with um, said, what shall we do next? And said, we should think of a big idea and say we had all the money we wanted. So we thought of, well, maybe more Mormon studies chairs, uh, maybe research institute on Latter-day Saint history. Um, Maybe we should have scripture study institutes. But finally, it uh, dawned on us that really the next frontier for us could be the arts because they're so expressive, they're so potent in modern life, and uh, they tell a story of the Latter-day Saint people that's quite different from other stories. I mean, we're, we're known as a people for our family life and even for our football teams, but we're not known for our arts, and we should be. Uh, because we have a huge number of people who are doing very good work. And we just felt like that whole array of talent and expression should be made better known. And so what have you done so far? This is the third. Give me a little, give, a, give our listeners a little sense of the, these festivals. Yeah. Well, we began realizing we needed a public event and we thought of maybe a long exhibit somewhere. That's hard to manage, especially in New York City. So we went with a short festival, intensive um, two or three days, where there are all sorts of things going on and various forms of art can be expressed. So we held the first one at Riverside Church, which happens to be just a couple of blocks from our apartment on um, Manhattan Island overlooking the Hudson and um, brought together a big show called The Immediate Present, curated by the curator of uh, global art at the Church History Museum. And um, we had a a day-long symposium on the question of um, what is Mormon art. And that year happened to be the 50th anniversary of President Kimball's address challenging Latter-day Saint artists to rise to a world standard. Where are Michelangelo's? Where are Beethoven's? He said. And that was a a jolt in the arm 50 years ago. So we asked the question, where do we stand? Are we making any progress? What was the answer? (laughs) 
the answer is uh, we have a long ways to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's not like we've been standing still. There's a, a sense of a huge amount of vitality at, at every level. It's not just half dozen great painters and three or four composers. We have located 1,600 Latter-day Saint composers. 100 of them have PhDs in music. And how many can we individually name? So there's a huge amount of work going on. And we felt like we needed to understand it, we needed to present it, we needed to advocate it, say, look what we've got, it's worth looking at. And what percentage of those are women versus men? We That's an answer I don't know, but it's smaller than it should be, as we know. Yeah. We do have lots of women LDS painters, artists of various other kinds, but composers, we don't have that many. We did have one in our first year, one Chinese Mormon convert who had won the Prix de Rome or something like that. So it isn't as if our people are unknown. They're just unknown to us. Right. What about this year? Give me some highlights from this year's just completed yeah. festival. What would you say, Claudia? I'm just trying to think. We do quite a few things. This year, with the first year, we just put things together that we knew about and many that Glenn knew about. Glenn Nelson, the co-director, is, of course, extremely uh, well-versed in all the, the arts of the church. But uh, the second year, we decided to, um, to ask to ask for submissions, for ideas to put on. And so we have now, we first um, requested things and got something like uh, 67 proposals from over 100 artists of various kinds. And then we had our advisory board look at those and we picked out some of them. And some of the ones that um, we chose from that list were what, Richard? What did we Yeah, every year we've tried to find uh, someone uh, who's not well known and this year we discovered a Congolese film director who, uh, in collaboration with uh, a Provo writer, Mary, uh, Margaret Blair Young, uh, has produced a film called uh, Heart of Africa, which is an attempt to show all the struggles and strains that someone who joins the church uh, goes through and uh, the deep tensions in African society that are still being worked out. And it was a powerful a piece of work, a 90-minute film. We tried to, uh, on Friday of the, of the uh, festival, we tried to do more scholarly things where we learn about things and discuss process and things like that. And then on Saturday, have more performance sorts of things with big events each night. So our first um, big event uh, this year was that David Holland, who is a professor of... Yeah, of, uh, in the, at the Harvard Divinity School came down and uh, gave us a lecture on, on books and religion, which was really quite erudite. The second night, because we'd had some complaints from people in the past that we didn't have enough for young people, we had <laughs> a number of absolutely up-to-the-minute performers who sang and danced in ways that you could hardly imagine if you were over 30. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so with those were our big events. And then, uh, on, as I said, on Friday, we did things to learn. And there were such things as um, three poets talked about how you could work with a poem. 
And I've been to plenty of poetry readings, but I think it's hard because you can't hear really once through a poem what's going on. You just don't really know, and then it's over. And But this time, they showed how they worked in their poetry group. One would present a poem, someone else would critique it, then they would discuss it, and then they would come up with the final version. So they did three poems, one of each of them, in which we went through that process. I thought it was the best poetry program I've ever heard. And there were just lots of things like that. What else did you like? I think we should mention that David Holland happens to be the son of uh, LDS Apostle Jeffrey R. Holland. And has uh, many of his father's gifts for speaking eloquently and deeply. He's a very big-hearted... Does he look like his father? Hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. And actually, Richard has known him for more than 20 years because he was in one of his first summer seminars. Richard started these summer seminars years ago to help young graduate students do better history, and uh, now all of his graduates are running the church. It's wonderful to see. (laughs) So um, you've mentioned all these individual artists, all the submissions and everything. What do you think was the church's approach to art in its beginning years, it, in its, its early phase, that these were farmers and craftsmen, and yet they built these amazing temples? And, and even late, uh, the next generation sent artists to Paris to study, to, to create murals for the temples. How do you think the early leaders were were thinking about art as as a collective, not individuals, but as a church? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure they thought about things as a collective, but they had one strong impulse, and that is to find competent people who knew how to build beautiful buildings. And how they lucked on to someone who could turn out the, the Nauvoo Temple, the Kirtland Temple, and the Salt Lake Temple. I mean, that is a miracle, because those are all gorgeous pieces of architecture, powerful on the landscape and expressive of, of Latter-day Saint values. So somehow the 13th Article of Faith really registered that it was their obligation to beautify what they meant to be glorious. And I would say that uh, the church is really built on um the, um, the existence of a, a beautiful object, the, gold, the plates of gold, you know, which occupies a huge place in our mental uh, understanding of the church. And so that would be lovely and precious, whether they were actually made of gold or not. And though we haven't had them for a century, we still very much have that as an object of beauty and desire. Do you think do you think that the the church values beauty as church leaders do they value beauty in art? I think uh, they do. I, th- I think the 13th article of faith hovers over them all. Um, um, I think it's probably true that um, we need we we must learn how to trust our own artists who can inf- who can educate us in what is lasting beauty it's quite easy to find 
easy art, that is art that just tells you immediately what it is, or something that's simply copycat art, just what we've done before we will do, do again. But the artistic impulse is always exploring, it's always looking into something new. And it's our artists who think and feel most deeply about that subject. And I think we would do better if more and more of those were brought into our councils about how to make the best of opportunities to present art. And I would say that when this group was young, we had more access to beauty in the church because we had, in our ward anyway, we had a continual run of three-act plays, uh, wonderful choral music. We all learned to sing in parts. We were doing all those things on a regular basis, and uh, that certainly did awaken us um, feelings for those things and encourage the artists in our church. So we did a lot of homegrown art. So what would you both like to see the church do to enhance the artistic part of worship in our faith? Well, my latest project, and of course, Richard and I do things because that's we learn to do them in church, so we are always doing things. My latest thing is I decided we celebrate Christmas for a month, and, uh, but when we celebrate uh, Easter, we give it very short shrift, and yet Easter is the center of our religious beliefs. So I thought um, what we've got to do is have expand and increase and enrich our liturgical celebrations of that thing that we call Easter, but we must quit calling it Easter because that's the name of a fertility goddess publicized by the Venerable Bede, and really we should call it Resurrection Week. That's what I'm doing. I want a full week of activities starting a month in advance with a beautiful choral work, either homegrown or Bach, something like that, and then have events every day, have a Passover Seder supper for the, as a ward dinner, have a time when we spend in the church uh, representing the time when Jesus is on the cross, times that we visit, other churches that we do voluntary activities, but have an activity every day. So I presented this idea to my bishop. He said, fine, go ahead. So we're going to do it. It's just what we do. Well, I think um, that we're making some good headway. Uh, for example, uh, there's a strong effort now to make the art in our temples original art, representative of the area where the temple is located, which offers an opportunity for local artists to find their way into the temple. So that, in a way, sets a standard for us. But I think we heard a wonderful talk yesterday about a young woman, a young mother, who is a fabulous artist um, and has a, a Mexican background. And she said she always felt a little uneasy because she went into Latter-day Saint churches. She, she never saw on the walls anything that looked like her. And she didn't know for sure whether she was an interloper or not. So she has taken up painting, even though she can barely afford the cost of canvas and paint, 
uh, and depicts um, people like her uh, going through their life struggles. So I think the time will come when the art in our buildings will fully encompass the global nature of the church. Um, so back to the temple for a second. Do you think that I mean, most of the temple art is either old art or landscapes. And yes, they the landscapes reflect the regions, but there aren't very many overtly religious pieces of art that are new. Is that fair to say? Well, would you would you like to see more of that? Well, I don't know exactly what the case is because I know they are systematically going through the temples and uh, and changing that situation. Um, there are various people who. That's a campaign and that's a, uh, an ass assignment. But I think definitely there should be more. I think we should find our, our best artists and, and put them in there and honor them by putting them in our place of greatest holiness. It's, it's what they all yearn to do. And Claudia, what, what would you think, how would you showcase works depicting Heavenly Mother? What would you like to see? <laughs> Well, I think uh, one of the uh, people feel very sorry that they know so little about Heavenly Mother. I say it's a great advantage because you can create her any way you wish her to be, and that is how she is, and that is how certainly people pray to her as they wish her to be. And uh, so I, of course, what would I do? I would make her look like my mother, but of course that would look too much like me right now, which would be a little presumptuous. <laughs> But, uh, of course, that's how I, I certainly see God as my father, and I see Heavenly Mother as my mother. So, Would you like to see more depictions of Heavenly Mother in temples? I don't know. What, why not? I think it's certainly subject. It's a doctrine we've backed into. We didn't, it didn't come out by the usual way, and uh, so that makes it a little suspect to some people. But uh, if not genuine, at least it is desired. So yes, let's put Heavenly Mother in the temples. But I'm not sure you put her in the celestial room arranging flowers or something like that. <laughs> what kind of symbols? Uh, the, again, the early temples had some some powerful symbols, sun, moon, stars, all-seeing eye. They had the hands. What kinds of symbols would you like to see more used in buildings or something that says Latter-day Saint to the outside world. What, what do we have to, what does the church have to draw on? I don't know. We, we talk about the temple itself as a, as a symbolic event, a symbolic sequence. But um, I would, I would move not in the direction of collecting um, an array of official symbols and then, then using them. But in, build instead on the principle of individual rest, revelation that we all can have inspiration. And let our artists who find various ways of expressing God do it in their own way. And that may be abstractions. Really, some of the most spiritual art of our time is by 
people who just put big blurry stripes onto a, a painting or just do a lot of painting in white. We had an interesting comment in the festival yesterday. Uh, there's an artist nowadays who's always writing what, about white on white. And this woman said she stood in front of it, just this white square, big white square with just a few intonations here and there, and thought, what in the world is this guy doing? And then she says, what if this stood in the temple? And all of a sudden, a white on white painting in the temple seemed very potent. Um, so there is one sort of uh, uh, church-sponsored artistic um, project going on right now, and that is the new hymn book. How is the church, how do you think the church can create a hymn book with very specific music that speaks to the history and the contemporary, but also draws from other regions? Is that, is that going to work? Well, of course, I'm, I'm afraid that the hymn book will not be nearly long enough to suit me uh, because we were asking for things that spread over such a wide area. But um, it's going to be, I, I understand, as a justification for this, not being long enough, not having any, leaving out a number of our favorite things, that there'll be lots and lots of things online. More songs, more arrangements, more... Um, ways that things can be used. But meanwhile, it's in our tradition to take some tune and just set words to it. So I think it's just a scandal. We don't have any Spanish tunes in our hymn book, and uh, we have a few other from other countries. But why not just take folk songs that we like that are you know, indigenous to other peoples and set some nice thing about the resurrection to them? And I, I think that would be a step forward. It may not seem like quite the right thing, but I feel like the church has missed many opportunities to really encourage its um, artists, and certainly this is one way. We just don't have it. I mean, how can you ever get that group called now the Tab Cats to sing a hymn if you have written one? I mean, it is just an impossibility. It cannot be done. And so I wish that, that our official institutions were more open to using the people that we have to do things. I guess a new hymn book is a good step forward. I'll wait and see what it looks like. But it is a tricky uh, enterprise to try to create a body of music that everyone knows globally so that there's a sense of familiarity without making it as you say, dominant United States. Yes. So it's, uh, I think, it, I, I, I would argue that art, other f art forms are the same. Like, you, you want to have things that everybody, all Latter-day Saints can feel, but that they come from individual regions. That's, that's tricky. Think, yes, I, w I wish people would feel more encouraged to do whatever they can locally. For instance, when we lived in, we moved from Massachusetts, which was an orchestra state for ch students, to Delaware, which is a band state. So all my older kids played strings, all my younger kids played brass. So we had some really pretty good young kids playing brass. 
So we had a brass group that performed frequently for um, our church meetings. I mean, they were our kids. I'd arranged for them, which was hard enough to do for me since I'm not a good ranger, but I'd do that. But there was one time when we had a state conference when um, our choir sang the Hosanna anthem and then the, we were in me meeting at this time in a high school auditorium. And then the whole congregation joined in on the Spirit of God and here was my brass group playing that melody. It was the most thrilling moment in a church meeting that I can remember. And there were our high school kids performing. It was really very moving. So I just think we can do a lot of things locally with our own people. What are the situations? My son is doing a musical thing. Turns out he's got nine cellos in his uh, ward or environs. So let's use what we've got and then um, we can do more. Richard, do you have any thoughts about how you make something global and also mm -hmm. individual? It's bound to be a disappointment. Uh, I think that's what you're suggesting. Um, everyone will lose their favorite hymn or the one that's you know really th is popular in Latvia will not make it. Uh, but I love the effort to try. I think that's marvelous. I think we have to be prepared to change the hymn book, arduous as the, t the task is. And in the long run, I mean, wouldn't either congregations in Bountiful that would really love to learn a hymn that's a favorite in Brazil? I mean, if they, they made it their own, they, there's nothing against Brazilians. They just have to learn it. And once they learn it, so maybe the real uh, key is instructing uh, church choristers to teach the new hymns. <laughs> and once we've learned when, to you might ask. But yeah, well, we'll have to find a way to do it. Add five minutes to the hour. I want to say that when I was growing up, my mother, who always led our choirs, uh, would, for every mission farewell, which we used to have, wonderful mission farewells, there were whole sacrament meetings, uh, and for part of the music, she would get a hymn, a well-known hymn, and a translation of it into the language that this person was going to, you know. So, and then the choir would sing that, and then they would have the words, and then everybody would sing that in the foreign language. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. I can still remember bits and pieces of those songs that I remembered at the time. Anyway, I think we can certainly do things on our own to move slightly into new areas. So last question. Uh, where would you like the church itself to take these ideas about art and move to the next level? Well, I, um, I, I would like to have uh, artists have a strong voice in all the artistic sites uh, so that you would always consult them you would uh, rec recognize their powers and uh, be patient with them because they will lead you into territory you're not quite prepared to go. That is why they're powerful, not because they repeat what is familiar and we all want to see done again. And 
that could be uh, a leavening influence that would instruct us all and I think make us pay attention to our, our art. We would learn from it rather than just counting as part of the wallpaper. Claudia, thoughts, last thoughts? Well, I, I always uh, like the individual situation. I mean, we have our wards. We can do what we want to some degree. We certainly aren't completely free. But in our building, as you noticed, we have a really a large series of Walter Raines paintings that are on display. These belong to the church, but uh, they have been borrowed from the church. And Walter Rain is a member of our uh, stake. He's a bishop of one of our singles wards. These were done as illustrations for the Book of Mormon. They're wonderful pictures. People love to see them. And, uh, you know, we have an art exhibition in our ward building, which is something others don't have, but many others could have if they did something like that. And would you like to see, uh, you're suggesting a, a person wanting to see art that looked like her, uh, would you like to see a Middle Eastern Jesus looking figure? Would you like to see, I know some African Americans who would really like to see themselves in temple art. Mm-hmm. Is that an important value, you think? Mm-hmm. I think so. Uh, we now have in our Manhattan temple a picture of Jesus with two, it looks like little South American children, native children. And that's very reassuring, But and everybody loves that picture. That's the favorite picture uh, in, the, in the whole building. So I think Latter-day Saints have big, big hearts and uh, they would welcome people of all types into their church art. Richard and Claudia Bushman, thank you very much. This is Peggy Fletcher Stack uh, uh, speaking to you from New York City. We'll speak again next week on Mormonland.